Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Music Note Podcast, where we'll be exploring the different occupations and careers linked to the art of music. I'm your host, Lori Leanne. In episode three, we have a conversation with Jana Sustersic. Besides a performer and pianist, she became a part of the Serbian rock band Neverna Bebe. She studied at Berkeley and won a popular music competition, Slovenia's Got Talent. At the moment, she's a vocal coach and a piano teacher. Listen to her journey in the music industry. Hey, Jana. Hi, Lori. And welcome to episode three of the Music Note podcast. Hi, thank you so lovely to be here with you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about your musical experience. I know you started music at a very young age, and along the way, a lot has happened. Uh, you studied at Berkeley, you won Slovenia's Got Talent, and at the moment, you're a vocal coach and a piano teacher. So let's start at the beginning. How did your life in music start? Very, very, very early on. Very early on. I sang a lot with, with my mom when I was like two, three, four years old. My grandma had this most beautiful uh, room where she used to have all, all, all the flowers that she used to have. And there was a little piano. So she was the one who first introduced me to piano. I just knew very early on that something happens with music and with a moment of spotlight for me that really made me feel uh, better than anywhere else really in life. So I guess it was quite, quite early. I'm not going to lie about the fact how it like literally all started, which is uh, I was a very energetic kid. And my mom tried to get me into as many things as possible. So she uh, went to uh, to this music school uh, for me to get tested, where they saw, you know, that I have a perfect pitch. They wanted to get me to violin. But that year, there was no free spot for violin. And then again, I was way too energetic of a kid to wait for another year to be enrolled. And what they said was that there is a spot on piano. So that's actually by accident that I began uh, playing the piano, but it started being obvious very, very quickly that this is something I immensely enjoy, that this is something that I really excel very fastly in, and that I really, really enjoy it very much. So I started working with this wonderful teacher. Only three months later, they they sent me to a first competition in piano where I won the third prize, and then the second, and then the first in Paris, then concerts with with orchestras playing Ravel's concerto in G, you know, being 14 years old. So in a way, you were a very fast student. I guess, although, again, I'm going to be very, very honest. Uh, looking back, I can't even imagine what I could have done if I even practiced more. Because very early on, I figured out that I could do a lot with a little bit of work. Which was not good, I guess, for for the moment, you know, because I would always wait for the last moment or just practice way less than someone else. And it always turned out well. But let's say on a longer run, some of these people still play piano, teach piano, yet I had an eight-year break in between because I needed, you know, to get it together. So it all has its pros and cons, I guess. After studying this classical piano, how did you end up in a rock band? <laughs> uh teenagehood I guess teenagehood no I mean first of all like I kind of come from the house where my parents uh have listened to um, incredible good music uh most of it was rock old soul reggae blues I even discovered 
rage against the machine, you know, uh, among my my dad's CDs once, <laughs> Metallica, you know. So that sound has always kind of been in the back of my head. But I was like piano princess, you know, classically trained. It all has its pros and cons. It taught me how to learn, how patient you have to be with it, what the best tools that you could use to to master something are. But then again, at certain moment, it turned out that it w- it had way too many rules for me. And uh, becoming a teenager and and having these feelings on completely other side, you know, just personally trying to find your own individuality and your own voice to say, uh, they started being a little bit claustrophobic for me. And a couple of months before, you know, I got into this new uh, band, I started going to a local rock club where there was a band called Fuzzbox. And I just got blown away, blown away. The energy, the roughness, the freeness of all of it, the energy of the singer and just being a leader and and playing with other people, obviously, you know, in the band and, and feeding off each other and all of this just was magical to me, magical. And very quickly after that, me and my guitar friend, we made a cover rock band. Then by chance, I landed in uh, the band called Never Nebebe, which uh, was already very known as uh, kind of the best club cover uh, band around. They used to call it Serbian Toto, <laughs> uh, which is funny again, because later on, we we opened the show for them later on in, in our career. So <laughs> life has its ways. And um, yeah, it, it was a whole new world for me. I've never been vocally trained before. And I have to admit that back then, I even had the feeling that I don't want to be trained. I had this belief that being vocally trained is now somehow going to make my expression more sterile, less mine. You know, maybe it was a frustration a little bit that came from my classical years. And uh, I went into it. Like my 18th birthday, I was we were on town squares, thousands of people singing happy birthday to you. You know, yesterday I was in completely some other venue, you know, playing classical music. It was a completely, completely new world that I immensely enjoyed and uh, learned incredibly a lot from throughout the years. So how long did you eventually stay with the band? Uh, Eight years. So I started when I was 17. Uh, Yeah, it ended when I was 25. Super interesting time, delicate time to begin with all of this. I found my way very well. Uh, with some things also not, just showed itself uh, a little bit later once that all of it was uh, done. But I learned so much. We had around 760 shows until the moment it ended. I learned how to be a part of the team. I I learned how to be a better leader on stage and in, in general. The onstage mastery, obviously, you know, with each next performance it would bring you know something uh, something new the appreciation of the audience perceiving what you do in a completely different way really living for the moment where you see that you've made someone cry or or laugh or or hug each other at your concert um it was a whole whole new world wasn't it overwhelming at that time not at the beginning i mean in the beginning it was in a fun way in a very fun way cuz you know i felt like I was just broken free and, oh, the world is mine. And, you know, and 
not going to lie, it, it took me up a little bit, you know, <laughs> seeing, you know, some girls coming to your show with the complete exact, you know, haircut as you and you're 17. And you're like, wow, I'm cool. <laughs> but uh, eventually it started being overwhelming in the ways that are not as nice when you realize a lot of things about how this music business world works and, you know, that a lot of times it, it it's not just about you who adore the music and people around you who adore the music, but just people that see it strictly as business and care nothing about this. But you stayed pretty grounded throughout this whole thing. Yeah, I have. I have. I like to believe I have. I like to believe I had. I think I got carried away a little bit at the beginning, as I said, What kept me grounded was my love for music, period. Because all along, I was aware of the fact that I'm just sort of, you know, a vessel here or just, I don't know how to say, I'm just able to to communicate these feelings in this way so that so many people feel it. So I guess that's that's what kept me grounded then and from then on. And always, always will. Even though we've really had like huge, huge, huge successes. We had a couple of albums that were incredibly listened to. As I mentioned, we opened shows for Toto, for Lenny Kravitz. We had the incredible honor of uh, the incredible legendary drummer Simon Phillips record uh, three songs on, on our album. So many awards, so many successes. It was just very fulfilling. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you decided to leave the band. Yeah. I mean, as in life, you know, everything has two coins, right? They said I've learned a lot, but the way my life has turned out at that moment, I started feeling a little bit like I'm in some Olympic races, you know, it stopped being fun. I started going away from the core, which is my absolute love of music. It started being a little bit considered like a, a job, obviously like within a band after after a while, like in any family really, <laughs> um, you start having you know difference of opinions and different wishes of you know where you want all of this to go. And I just realized that my creativity at the moment was not only stagnating but going backwards, which I really did not want to allow since music means so much to me and I really never think that you're done learning. And I seriously decided to do something about it. I also started having issues with my voice. Since I've never learned uh, the technical aspect of it, because I did not want to, I wanted to, you know, j just do it however I feel it and for it to go just straight to the heart, you know, I endangered my voice. I started waking up and instead of saying good morning, you would just hear It was the most desperate feeling I've ever felt in my life. And uh, I really, really wanted to do something about that as well. So against all odds and everyone thinking that I'm insane for leaving this successful career and, and uh, everything, I decided to try and get into a good school where I could work with someone who really knows a lot about all of this and, and to help me learn whatever I'm lacking at that moment. The good thing was that I knew exactly what it was that I had to learn. I knew exactly where my little, you know, drops are, things that I've 
not learned yet. I went into this audition for Berklee College of Music, really, really knowing what I, what I need to learn from it and to get the most out of it. How did you end up at Berklee and where did you do your audition? My audition was in Rome. A couple of years before that, there were auditions in, in uh, Serbia, since that was where I, where I uh, grew up. But that year and a year before, I think, for some reason, uh, they weren't organized in that region. So the closest possible was in Rome. So I got my ticket to Rome and I went to Rome for two days. In general, all of this was like an insane dream, like something that could most likely not be able to, to be accomplished. <laughs> you know, I, I don't come from a rich background. I come from a country that, that's lovely and full of incredible people, but we went through a lot. Uh, I myself went through, you know, my family and my friends, we went through a couple of wars, bombings, just very typical things. And uh, from a just financial standing point, it was absolutely undoable to begin with. But I was so certain that this is the most logical and smart next step that I could take. I just foolishly decided to believe that it could be done and that I am just going to take a step forth and see what happens. And in general in my life, you know, even till that point and from then on, it showed itself so many times that really nothing is just going to come to you ever. You always have to make at least one step toward that something. And only then big and important things happen when you gather your 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 courage and, and your belief and love in what you do and make an actual step towards it. Well, it sounds like that you are very determined to succeed, which in this case, I guess, is one of your strengths. I can be so insecure, Laurie. <laughs> Throughout my life, even with, let's say, now we've landed at the Berkeley moment, which is already like three important stages and successes on into my music career life. But even those did not just come, ooh, I'm the best, I'm just going to go for it. There were so many questions. There were so many insecurities. There, there were so many internal and external voices telling me, oh, yeah, that's waiting for you, right, to, to give you the scholarship. But there's this thing each time where you can feel it in your guts, when you can just see it without a doubt happening, however insane or impossible it seems, it always happens somehow. It always did. And the other way around, if I just couldn't see it or just saw things and as being awful and undoable and, and anything, that's what I would get as well. That happened a little bit later on. <laughs> I had a bit more experience. Um, somehow, I've always been very brave, I guess, in the moments where I really felt in my gut that it's the time for next step and really felt that, say, the risk you're taking is big. But it's calculated risk, you know? Okay, maybe maybe I was risking everything here, just leaving the band that I was very successful with and now going back to school. But maybe not. Maybe the best things in my life will happen. And they did. So I guess for me, it was just the biggest part was just getting in terms with my own self, you know? Helping my own self when I'm in doubt. When I start to go the negative way or the negative way you're thinking and just try to clear that up and just let your clear inner voice speak. Yeah. And then you got finally accepted to Berkeley. 
What was the experience like for you? I'm starting only now. I, I did not find this fun earlier in life. But the whole duality thing, I keep mentioning, you know, how everything in life has, you know, its pros and cons, but it's always about choosing to to see the good that comes out of it and learn from the things that are maybe not so good or not well executed or perceived. So I was over the moon, obviously, when I got the scholarship. It seemed completely impossible for us. Somehow we were able to start it and see what happens. I've always been a very open person. And just the whole experience of meeting people from all over the world with the incredible love for the same thing that you love so much, all with their different stories, backgrounds, abilities, you name it. But we're all here to do the same thing. And it was just priceless. And then, of course, the incredible mentors that I've met there that have changed my life. was absolutely incredible. It was very difficult as well. From the financial standing point, just being there and doing everything you can just to merely survive financially sometimes took a little bit too much time and, and energy from what should have gone to music at the moment. So maybe it was a little bit difficult for, for us from this region, maybe for someone else. Also, the first year was a little bit frustrating for me. I'm not going to lie. Since I came from, you know, eight years of performing, being a rock star and everything to coming here and then telling me, my dear child, you're incredible, but you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Strictly from a technical aspect, but I learned to be patient with it. And even if I cried after every or every second voice lesson, because I just, you know, I was like, I thought I'm singing well now. Everything has to be turned upside down, right? But I was so fortunate and so lucky to have incredible, incredible mentors who were just able to help me not only musically, but on a personal level as well, you know, with the experience they'd have in education and just in real music life. They were able to see through my fears, through my certain stumbling blocks that I'm putting in front of myself, by myself. And they were so patient with me, they were so patient with me that they showed me just how patient I need to be with myself. That maybe before I, I wasn't really able to give myself a little break. You know, it was I was always kind of expected to be the best at what I do, be and, and go and go and go and go and go. I kind of forgot to breathe. To give myself, you know, it's okay. You didn't do it this time. It's fine. You'll do it next time. You'll do it the third time. Just relax and trust the process. And then the very unexpected transfer uh, happened where I ended in Berkeley, Valencia, where I was supposed to be for only one semester. But I guess we fell in love with each other so much that I finished the entire Berkeley studies over there and finished uh, the master uh, degree as well. So um, there in Berkeley, Valencia, they're kind of laughing to this day and calling me a Berkeley, Valencia dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, because I met you at Berkeley, Valencia years ago. And it's funny that you mentioned your insecurities because I met you during this jam session with other students. And you were on stage with Patrice. And I remember you taking the mic. And not only your voice, but also your stage presence was so natural. It was really great to see. But I'm very surprised that you have that insecurity, yet that doesn't show on stage. And you can see the joy you have while performing. Well, I, I enjoy it and love it so much that I guess at the moment, I completely forget 
and just don't hear that little voicey in your head that's constantly there. And as Patrice said in, in her podcast, I mean, us musicians, artists, I guess we're even more susceptible to this, you know, because that's what we do. We deal with emotions. We are who we are because we're not afraid to deal with this and to share it. And sometimes it can get overwhelming. But for me, stage has somehow always been the safe haven for me. It's where I feel most me that, that I could ever be. And I guess this is the reason because I get so sunk up into it that I'm for that period of time not able to hear those. It's just always been like that. Yeah. Like you said, you know, you studied in Boston, you studied in Valencia. What was it like for you to be studying abroad? I loved it. I've somehow always been very, as I said, open, interested. Um, and social. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always find it as as a new experience that I can learn from, as a new experience what I can learn to to find my way or not find my way, learn something, fail in something, but still know I've tried. So obviously I felt homesick so many times and moving so much, you know, it also has its its cons. You're like, where's my home? But I found the answer to that. It's on stage and it's around people that I love and people that inspire me and wherever that may be let it be so as i said it was a little bit difficult it's always you know you just learn everything new from the language you know then then on i had to learn spanish and i did <laughs> and to just adapt but i always take it in a in a very positive way as as you know something that i can learn from not something that i'm going oh now i have to adapt oh it, it's a problem i guess it's just my personality i've always been quite out outgoing and curious so i guess this this helped a lot then you entered slovenia's got talent <laughs> what made you decide to enter was this before you entered berkeley no it was uh it was right in the middle of my master's degree which eventually made it very difficult i'm going to explain how and stressful but it worked again i'm going to be completely honest more practical than anything else even though i got a really big scholarship for for the master's uh, degree again you know my, my situation financially has not really changed a lot and um what was needed to to cover for the rest of the tuition i i did not have I looked for all the possible, you know, options. Nothing was promising. And then I went to Slovenia for the holiday and I spoke to my father about this. And he just mentioned, you know, there's the Slovenia's Got Talent audition. If you win, you'll be able to pay for the rest of the masters, you know, and not let all of this fall to nothing. And if not, I mean, you open the new, the new space where you can share your music because I haven't performed in Slovenia ever before. My father is Slovenian and I had just been coming here to holidays, you know, to see him. I've never performed here. I wasn't too thrilled in the beginning about the idea because in general, I'm not too fond of this type of presentation of music and just what it in a negative term does to kids, to young people 
who go through this and perhaps don't be successful in it or do and then get the idea that that's what making it the music business is that it's just enough for you to show up and do it once or twice and that it's enough and then the whole music business like kind of eats them up <laughs> after that because it's nothing like that and also what it has a negative term effect on people who don't do well with this and are very young who just get so frustrated with the response or with the stage fear or anything bad that happens there that they just drop the whole thing rather than continue working on it so from that side I wasn't a, too big of a fan but on the other side I knew that I am going to be able to do a good thing here because I already know some of these things and as I said it's not going to eat me up alive and perhaps really like hey you know, let me try. Uh, try I did and win I did. So oh, I was able to pay for the school and I was able to, as I said, open the whole new area in the world where my voice could be heard and where I could help so many people with what I do. And it was wonderful. It was very exhausting as well. Because as I mentioned, it, it was all happening like literally from the beginning of the master's to the end. At, at first, it was just the auditions and the filmings and, and the winning part. And then when I won, it was a gazillion number of interviews, concerts, and everything that I had to be present for. Yet I lived in Valencia trying to finish my master's degree. I have to say that I'm above grateful for all the patience and understanding that both sides had you know, obviously at Berkeley as well, because I mean, this is, this is what they prepare their students for and they understand, but I've also tried very, very hard, you know, to bring in the good work, regardless of the fact that I spent two days a week in Slovenia, two days a week in Valencia, three days here, two days there, five days there, one day there. And I've managed to, to somehow do all of it, to, to finish the masters, to really create a very good base here in Slovenia. Uh, and it all worked fantastically well. But like you said, nowadays there are so many talent shows and people most of the time think I'm going to be famous very fast if I would participate. What would you advise those people? It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, look, it, if it happens, if it helps put you in a, in a spotlight, if you're good for what you, at what you do, it's good. Just to never forget to begin to learn about the fact that it takes so much work first off to be good at what you do second off for you to have the confidence enough for something like that not to shake you up in the good or bad way if it happens or, or that way and to just never stop being curious about what you do not to fall into the trap that thinking about that this is enough that's what it takes so that would be that would be the biggest advice definitely definitely so after you graduated from berkeley and you won the contest what happened then how did it go okay now we're getting to the part yeah not very well and i'm very glad that i can just say this now with such calmness and positiveness but that period right after all of this was probably one of the most difficult that I've ever had, really, for a number of, of reasons. It was the first time that all of the competition or you need to do this or just survival mode or 
you know, trying to, to do everything very well had stopped, you know. I'm no longer Jana the pianist. I'm no longer Jana the Neverneberbe. I'm no longer Jana the Berkeley. I'm maybe still a little bit Jana the Slovenia's Got Talent. But it all just stopped at once. And it felt, for me at that moment, I, I was exhausted. <laughs> I, was, I was mentally exhausted. And I wasn't prepared for the fact that this drop is going to be so big for me and I wasn't prepared to embrace this feel I was fighting it I was fighting it because I had the feeling okay what do you have to be depressed about what do you have to be sad about you know you've done so many things you've been blessed with so many incredible mentors people friends family around you you've done so many things what do you have to be depressed about and not just me saying this to myself some very close people around me telling me the same <laughs> now is the time to work now is the time to get the money you know now is the time to do everything you wanted to now is the time to, which made it even worse what literally made me feel like a deer in front of the lake just completely frozen from just being very exhausted you know from how difficult all of this path ha has been to to being able to finish and do all of this from not really having the time in life before to meet with my own self and to have this locked in personally it's always been just some sort of you know go go for it go for it do it you, you can do it and then I literally felt like I woke up into real life 30 years old do I even like this do I even know how to do this <laughs> And again, so many expectations set, you know, from my own side and just from everyone, everywhere else that I allowed. I wasn't in a good space mentally to embrace this and for all of this to be inspiring. But it went completely the other way. I, I started feeling completely blocked. And it lasted for, for a while, for good two, maybe even three years, Laurie. Wow. I get that because you're not prepared. Yes. Um, I, tr I tried, I tried, you know, to, to perform as much and I did and, and, and to participate in as many interesting and, and creative things as I could. But at the end of the day, it was showing itself physically. I was thin as a branch. I couldn't even carry my own bones, not only all my dreams and, and everything I've done so far. Again, it wasn't pleasant, not at all. But I'm very grateful that I realized what this is, that it's another learning experience and just something I've never had the time to go through before. And now I do better late than ever. Right. And the whole, say, healing and finding my way back happened when I stopped punishing myself for feeling this way or feeling bad about feeling this way. Rather embracing this feel and saying okay understanding just where does it where does this come from why is it happening right and what can i do to be my own best friend in the moment what can i do to break this writer's block what can i do to break this playing piano for five minutes and not like what i do and just getting frustrated and jumping off of it and going to netflix well yeah you know Procrastination never happens just because in mostly, at least in my experience, it always happened just because of my insecurities of what I was about to do. 
what I wanted to do. Because now I certainly started feeling, oh, you're Yana the pianist, right? You cannot even play two of the notes that you used to play before. And I let my fear be an excuse for me not to sit down and practice, which is the only thing how I was able to play very good to begin with. Same goes for music. I would sit down to write music and I would freaking expect myself like for the first song to be a Bohemian Rhapsody rather than just sitting and writing and see what happens, even if it's bad. A great mentor from Berkeley once told me, a dare to write crap. Crap is the best fertilizer. <laughs> but we all come to these moments in life where we're, we're just not energetically there. We, we're just too tired or too this or too that or scared. And we let the negative side of it take its toll. But again, you know, even if it happens, let it happen and try to be as good to yourself in that moment as you can. Try and do daily a number of things that just make you happy, whatever that is. Try to find, you know, your way of getting back in touch with yourself so that you can start feeling more secure, more relaxed. That's that's what worked for worked for me. And uh, it's been beautiful ever since. It's been beautiful ever since. As I said, it took some time, didn't feel good, but I learned a bunch about myself about what the things are that I want to. How many times in life do did I say yes to something that I shouldn't have, that it was just not in my line of, of wishes or, or road of, or skills, and it would just frustrate me. When to say yes, when to say no, how I learned things. I was never, unfortunately, the one who could sit down and practice 24-7. Okay. Let's find a way around this, you know, how, how to make this way that I learn the most productive that I can and for it to inspire me and not to frustrate me, right? And in general, just, again, as Patrice said, I just can't get away from, from that beautiful woman's thoughts uh, that you get to decide which voice gets first. Is it the one that tells you, you know, that you're worthy and that you can do it and then you should? Or is it the one that's always going to find some excuses for your own self not to do something? So how did you get through that very dark period in your life? How did you find the joy that you kind of lost? It really took time, like all of these couple of years, just to do immense self-research. As I said earlier, and the things, you know, what do you want? What do you really want? What, do, what, what did you do just because someone else said so? Or... And just somehow trying to come to remind yourself of how much you love all of this. Because some, sometimes so many things can happen that you stop seeing this, that you go away from the core. And for me, it was this trying to get the clutter out and get to the core, which reminded me of how incredibly much I love piano. And how it was just, I guess, normal at that time that I felt a little bit overwhelmed and over-practiced, and I just needed something else. But guess what? That skill is still here. That skill is still here. I sat down after eight years at a certain moment, and I started playing the Ravel Concerto in G like I played it yesterday. It's incredible. And uh, how, obviously, I can incorporate this with my singing, how, obviously, I can use that skill and both skills 
and everything I've learned at Berkeley, the lyric writing, the, the songwriting, the arranging, the you name it, to write now. Then I started being a little frustrated because it seems like I don't know how to write a good melody line. But then I said, hey, but my instrumental things are very good. And they just go out of me naturally. I guess, is it from years of classical training piano, those harmonies, the aesthetic of the, of the sound? And rather than start, starting to fight it, I started to write more instrumental and see what happens. <laughs> so in general, just embracing all of this, reminding yourself what all of your skills are, all the things that you can do that you can incorporate back into what you love. And again, just go back to the fact that you love this above all. And it really brings it back. And I just, I made a move. I came back to Slovenia because I went to Syria for, for a year in the meantime. I got a teaching position at a music school here, uh, which is also one other thing that I've discovered that I have incredible passion for, education. I've been doing it in the meantime while I was studying and a little after. And now I, I have over 30-something individual students with no signs of stopping. I found incredible joy in education. And actually, apart from me being on stage, this is the next thing that I love above all. It's been so rewarding just sharing. You know, it, it's very slightly different <laughs> way of sharing everything, just like you share from stage. Only here you're even more direct and, you know, one-on-one. -on -one and uh, you see how much, you know, with each time you help someone overcome a technical or personal issue. And I think I've grown very good at this because of all the experiences that, that I went through. I, I guess I could even see through a person now if, if a certain problem is more psychological than, than technical. It's just the most beautiful and rewarding thing I've ever experienced. But isn't it beautiful because you experienced so many ups and downs that somehow in the end, you came to the realization that teaching other people is actually what brings you a lot of joy. Absolutely. I know about a lot of musicians who, who are not keen for going for education because somehow they think because, you know, they think that if they go into it, that somehow it's going to mean the, mean the ending of their professional life. I was among them. I was kind of sure earlier on that if I started doing this, you know, that I couldn't commit fully to both and that it would just mean that I gave up on my dreams. And Jesus, was I wrong? Lord, how, I wrong, how wrong I was. With each lesson done, I become a better, a better musician, a better performer, a better educator and as i said again the joy the joy of working with people so closely this time you know usually it's in the audience but now now you get to help each and every one of them individually just by what they need depending on how how old they are how secure or insecure they are uh, which questions do, do they have you know and uh this this crazy upside down musical life of mine has kind of prepared me incredibly, I think, for this. And I have the patience that, that so many people showed towards me and that I appreciate so much. Uh, I have the directness that I know that sometimes they need, that I received. And again, the psychological aspect of what it means to be well 
to be able to perform well. I mean, besides being a teacher, you're also still performing. I am. I am. Well, there is not now uh, because of the COVID situation. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very active. I have to say that from starting from uh, September 2019, when I when I came back here, things started to open themselves up in very interesting ways. I performed with a number of Slovenian big bands, which was also like a new moment for me. Um, and we traveled all around Europe. We went to Belgium, we went to Austria, we went like to so many places. I wrote so much, like even before and now and even more um, that I used, you know, this this uh, quarantine time to really make music. So, yeah, I find it quite sad and difficult, you know, like all of us not being able to do what we do, you know, it's our energy. It's it's what we live for. But then again, the, the, if you remind yourself, you know, that you love music, not just that one aspect of it, which is being on stage, one should, you know, focus in these times on just trying to better themselves as much as possible. Uh, play, write, you know, record. There's so many things that one can do now to kind of fill the void and and uh, make use of this time the best as possible which is very true can you tell me what it's like being a musician in slovenia what's the music industry like in slovenia it's uh, quite interesting it's quite small just like the country just like the country the country is very very small we're talking about two million people i grew up in belgrade which is the capital of serbia which has around two million and, and you know and something so it has been a little bit of a shock for me you know coming from uh, a country where music business is way way bigger let's say in in scale uh, and the offers of everything that you can hear and, and learn are just more out there So in a way, I mean, obviously, in one way, it's maybe easier to get up front because there are not so many others, you know, that do it. Yeah, it's just done for me a very good thing of just being much more calmer, which I really needed. I really needed after this entire journey, a place where that is a little bit less hectic, where I can breathe in, you know and let this music of mine breathe in uh, as well. So obviously there are a number of, you know, beautiful venues, so some festivals, mostly uh, TV festivals as well that are, that are like very uh, watched and, and followed here. It's good. It's been good. I found a way and certain places where I can perform that, that I could connect best with, with, with the audience. Uh, so it's been it's been very nice. For the past year, obviously not. We've been in quite a strict lockdown, so it's going to be a year now that I haven't stepped on stage. But I think that this entire situation is just showing our ourselves, you know, the musicians and people who enjoy music in this type of art, how much we're taking some things for granted, how much we miss this, how much we actually really love this, right? So again, everything has its good and bad sides. It has been tough, but I know that most of us have really tried to use the best out of it as performers, just like writing our own music, learning about writing, you know, learning everything that 
you feel you have a gap with, even in education-wise. Like I see an increase in people that are interested in, in learning this, which tells me that a lot of people have turned into working on themselves, working on things that they've always wanted to do. And uh, thankfully, these days, even if we're in, in lockdown, we can do and find and learn and have lessons online and so many things now that are literally a click away from you. And I'm very happy to see a lot of people taking advantage of this in the best possible way. When you look back, are you happy where you're at musically right now? I'm very happy. I'm still, but I'm literally in the last stages of it, finally, that I was able to embrace my own self and, and the fears that I've mentioned and all the blocks that I've had where for a while now I'm literally just writing and writing and writing. Some of it I love, some of it I don't, but it's shown me, it's teaching me now, it's showing me what my red line is in writing. So I'm personally very happy where I am. Yeah, definitely. And, and obviously above grateful for all of my students and, and the ability to educate and, and to be involved in sharing all the things that I've learned and, and helping people better themselves at what they want to do. So as a segment of this podcast, I have five random questions for you. So I would like to know, do you prefer to sing in English or your own native language? Huh. Very interesting question. As a multi-language speaking person, I've And also as an educator, like I, I really like the fact that I've realized how much my voice changes just when I speak a different language. Say Serbian is much, much lower. It's like, hey, that's your same. Okay. <laughs> Slovenia is very up here. Zhiljak, kusi, all right, nadia. And English is somewhere in between. <laughs> I have always been surrounded by, by English. My mom used to be and still is, uh, teaches English. So from the earliest age, uh, I used to sing, you know, in Serbian, in Slovenian, in English, because uh, she wanted me, you know, to, to be in contact, you know, with my father's culture and be proficient in, in English so that I can communicate with the rest of the world. I mostly feel most relaxed singing in English, but it's also very interesting to see how much of my own personal just style and, and the color and, and the voice I've developed through singing our own songs in the band uh, that I was in. So I would have to say uh, English and then Serbian. Okay. Yeah. So who is your biggest influence musically? <laughs> have another 50 minutes, Lori. <laughs> um, oh my God. Like if we want to talk about people that I used to listen to, I just couldn't even point the finger. Uh, while I was a pianist, my absolute biggest uh, idol or someone I looked up to was Marta Argerich. Uh, she is still this day, Ivo Pogorelic, just incredible musicians. I started singing because of David Coverdale from, from Whitesnake. I just found his voice to have so much power and, and, and freedom and grace. I don't know even how to explain it better. That I sounded very funny the first I, I began singing because I was trying to kind of imitate him so <laughs> and obviously there was a, a friend of mine who who sadly uh, passed away last year 
He's a singer of the band that I mentioned in the beginning of our interview, the band, the rock band that I first went to that completely blew, you know, my mind away. They were playing just the cover band, but they played all the goody old hard rock bluesy uh, stuff. So a lot of this rock and roll energy is here till this day. Someone say even Tina Turner type of energy, which there you go, Tina Turner. So if we went in, but all along, all the while I was singing all of this, uh, listening to to kind of hard rock and that harsher sound, I was parallelly listening to Erica Badu all the time. Lauren Hill, Erica Badu, they all kind of set, settled in in a certain way as well. And really from then on, like my biggest heroes are are the mentors, the mentors that that I've met throughout the the Berkeley path and. Uh, some of the people like literally that changed my life, like Victor Mendoza, who is really the first professor who, who I've made at Berkeley, Boston. And then in Berkeley, Valencia, his love towards music, like he just gives every drop of himself to the music when he's online and to his students. And uh, it's something I will never forget. And that literally changed my life. Okay, so let's go on to the next one. What would be your dream collaboration? Is there someone you want to work with? So many people, so many people. But that that also changed, changed with, with time. It would be my absolute thrill, some way, anyway, be connected to our darling Patrice Russian. Because when I saw her and just her story and, and her wisdom and bravery and vulnerability in all of this and uh, the way she shares and understands is just for, out of this world for me. And uh, I think that we would have a lot of interesting things to do together. Uh, so absolutely, Patrice Russian would, would be uh, number, number one, I have to say. Looking back at your career and life to this point, what was the best thing learned from all of this? What would be your advice to the future musicians out there? It's definitely not one thing. It's way more than one thing definitely to listen to your your own inner true voice absolutely more uh, than the one that's telling you the negative to work a lot which goes together with staying curious you know because if you, if you get the idea that you now know everything and there's that there's always something ne definitely never stop learning keep the curiosity and always always try to remember why you are in all of this to begin with, which is your pure love for what you do. And uh, I don't think you'll go and misuse, abuse, or do anything bad to a thing that you love, right? Yeah, very true. So the final question, what's next for Yana? <laughs> what's next for Yana? Yana is going to continue educating a big dream of mine is um, to continue teaching uh, a bit of outside of Slovenia as well. Uh, a very interesting thing was just about to happen before the, the whole COVID situation happened, which involved teaching three or four day master classes in about 50 countries. <laughs> It was an incredibly tempting and interesting project that unfortunately got stopped because of the COVID situation. So this is something that I would definitely uh, love to see happen once things settle down. I see myself finishing this music project of mine 
because I already see it on stage. I can hear it. I can smell it. So this and obviously going back to traveling to be able to see all of my wonderful friends all over the world and go back to collaborating in person even more, even though I have to say we've been very good at uh, making it happen even in these given situations, you know. Today, you can send files, do everything online, you know, but definitely travel again and be the happy music self that I can be. Well, thank you so much, Jana, for sharing your story. I really believe you're going to inspire many others. I really hope so. Oh, yeah. And one one more thing that I forgot to say, like about my suggestions to young people, dare to be vulnerable as well. You know, you don't. No one is expecting you to be perfect, always. None of us is perfect. It's not shameful to ask if you don't know something. I've I've seen it a number of times because they want to continue looking cool or they don't want to turn out stupid or how, how would you say it? Uh, for not knowing something, they just don't ask. In Serbia, there's a, there's a saying, kopita ne skita, which means uh, the one who asks, he, he does not roam, right? He finds the way. So it's not shameful to ask and absolutely do not feel ashamed also to to say if you're in a bad moment or if something else, you know, is going on. It's perfectly human. It's perfectly normal. And it's always easier to go through uh, with someone than by yourself. Very true. Again, Jana, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I think you are an incredible talent and I will keep on following you because I'm very impressed with all that you have achieved. I cannot wait to see you live again. So hopefully this COVID thing will pass really fast. It will. It will. And uh, we just got to keep smart about it. Keep safe, you know, for our own and obviously the good of of people around us. And uh, I mean, it it can be worse as well. We got to find our ways, you know, to to go through this, talk to people, work on things that, that you always wanted to to work on, keep in touch with your friends as much as you can, and it shall all pass. And I just cannot wait to see you in person again, Lori, over a coffee and over the stage. <laughs> Thanks again, Jana. I'll see you soon. Thank you again, everyone, for listening to the Music Note podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know on the musicnote.com website and don't forget to subscribe. I hope you join me next week for episode 4. Bye for now!